Welcome to Safe Travels. I'm your host, Damien. The Safe Travels podcast is all about finding expert advice so you can sit back and relax and enjoy worry-free travel. Today, we're talking about RV trips. This could be a very popular season for RV travel as people are looking for alternatives to traditional travel. There could be quite a few new people on the road doing this type of travel. Today, I'm speaking with Jeff Kreider. Jeff is an author and editor involved with many RV publications, including Trailer Life Magazine, Motorhome Magazine, and Woodall's Campground. He's an expert in campgrounds specifically and has interviewed campground operators throughout the United States. He's up to date on coronavirus-specific practices that they're taking part in, and he will share what he has learned. He has lots of tips for new RVers and just a lot of great information in general. As usual, there will be some show notes available. You can find those if you go to our Twitter page at Safe Travels FM. That's the Twitter handle. You'll find links to everything there. So please enjoy this talk with Jeff Kreider. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Jeff, if you wouldn't mind, could you give the audience just a quick overview of who you are, what you do, what your area of expertise is? Sure. Well, I am a, I guess you'd call me a, a major camping enthusiast. I grew up RVing and camping with my parents. They got a motor home when I was about eight years old. And I spent 16 years RVing with them all over the Western United States. And really the best memories that I have growing up are all the RV trips that I took with my parents and extended family and friends. As I got to be older, they would let me take the RV and take my friends and do our own little trips to different places. And then professionally, I ended up becoming a newspaper reporter. And in my third newspaper job, I ended up at the Press Enterprise in Riverside, California. And that is where the headquarters of Fleetwood and National RV, uh, Thor, California, were headquartered. And so part of my newspaper assignment was to cover the RV industry. And I think about two weeks after I started writing articles about the different RV manufacturers, I got a call from RV Business Magazine asking me if I would freelance for them. And since I had my daughter on the way at that point, needed a little extra cash, I said yes. And I've been writing for them for about 26 years now. And so after a few years of writing for RV Business, they moved me over to Woodall's Campground Management and asked if I would do what I could to kind of improve the quality of content in that publication. I interviewed campground operators all over the U.S. and Canada, and I've been doing that actually for more than 20 years now. And so I have kind of a a mixed background of knowledge about the RV industry itself, RV manufacturing, but more specifically knowledge about campground operations. And then because I'm an avid traveler, I travel all over the place. And that ended up morphing into freelance opportunities for Motorhome and Trailer Life magazine. Uh, the last few years, I've been writing for a family RVing magazine, which is the national magazine of the Family Motor Coach Association. I've written for Snowbirds and RV Travelers up in Canada. And I've been doing a lot of articles the last several years for the Automobile Club of Southern California for Westways Magazine, mainly travel articles focused on camping. And then in addition to that, for about the past 15 years or so, I have been consulting for several of the state and national campground industry associations. And I currently am the resident campground expert for the RV industry association. So because of all these different experiences I've had over the years, as a journalist and then personally traveling myself, I've wound up having you know more experience than a lot of people on camping. That's quite a background in this topic area. I think in one of our emails back and forth, 
you mentioned that you've been in contact with a lot of the campgrounds in regards to what's going on now. So what's the current status of a lot of the campgrounds? Yeah, right now, because of COVID-19 and because we don't have any consistent policies or protocols across the country, aside from the guidance that that's coming from the Centers for Disease Control, every state is kind of on its own in terms of deciding what it wants to do. What this means is that every state has different slightly different or significantly different criteria in terms of what's allowed and what's not. And what this means for campgrounds is that there's 50 different sets of rules in terms of what's permitted and what's not. And so what all of this means is that consumers who want to do camping and RV trips this year really need to do their homework. Unlike previous years, where you would simply worry about mapping out where you wanted to go, and then do the trip. This year, you need to figure out not only where you want to go, but what kinds of amenities and services will be provided at the campgrounds you want to visit along the way. And then in addition to that, what kinds of attractions will be open and will they have any hindrances that may affect your trip? And so that's what I've been finding in the calls that I do with the state campground industry associations and with camping consumers all over the country is they're navigating these kind of varying criteria from state to state. But what I am gathering from everyone that I talk to is that because there's so much cabin fever across the country, people want to get out. They want to get into nature. You know, it's not natural for us to just be inside for so long. And campgrounds offer the opportunity to be outside in nature And they give you the opportunity to social distance as much as you'd like to social distance. So that's an opportunity, certainly, that people are looking into right now. And from what I have been hearing through my industry contacts, there is a lot of demand for RVs out there right now as well. So I think camping is going to be something that a lot of people look into, you know, in the coming weeks and months. And you mentioned the need to do a little bit of extra research as far as campgrounds and you know just this activity in general this year versus last year's. Is that getting in touch directly with campgrounds as far as what's going on there? Yeah. Is there a central resource that you can point people to where they can get this information for trying to plan a trip? Well, unfortunately, and this has always been the case with the campground industry, unfortunately, the North American campground industry is extremely decentralized. And what that means is that there's no single website that anybody can go to to get all of the information they need about campgrounds. You've got some websites that cover state and federal campgrounds, like you'd see in state and national parks. And then you've got other websites to go to to check the privately owned and operated campgrounds. There are actually more privately owned and operated campgrounds than there are government-run campgrounds. So there's lots of opportunities out there for people to research for camping opportunities. What I recommend is that they check a few websites. I mean, you could certainly check recreation.gov and reserveamerica.com. Those are really important websites for government-run campsites. Uh, Reserveamerica.com is starting to pick up some more uh, privately owned and operated campgrounds on its website, but that is 
uh, a very good resource. Additionally, at the national level, you'd want to have access to GoCampingAmerica.com. You would want to check GoRVing.com. Those actually share the same database. GoRVing.com links to the database at GoCampingAmerica.com. And there's about 3,000 privately owned and operated campgrounds on that website that consumers can check. And then additionally, there's about 13 state campground associations across the country, and they have their own databases as well. So consumers will really want to check those websites to see what the full range of campgrounds is for each state that they want to visit in each area that they want to visit. And then some websites, some state websites like campcolorado.com, have blogs on them where consumers can check to see what the latest information is involving campgrounds statewide on that website. But I would really recommend that consumers drill down and check the websites of each campground they're interested in visiting. And then aside from that, I think I would recommend a phone call as well to the campground because the reality is right now, and this is something that I've you know been hearing about every week, there are new announcements being made virtually every week by governor's offices of different states. And the movement right now seems to be toward more relaxation of some of the COVID-19 restrictions that we've seen in recent weeks. But, you know, sometimes, you know, governors decide to continue these restrictions for longer periods of time. And so it behooves consumers to check with the campgrounds and find out exactly how open they are. One thing that I have found in my research that's really interesting this year is that some campgrounds are not allowing tent camping. And the reason they're not is because they don't have the staff or they're currently unable to sanitize their restroom facilities as frequently as they would like to be able to accommodate tent campers. And so right now, people who have an RV actually have an advantage because they have their own restroom with them, and they can go camp pretty much at any campground that's open and willing to accept them. Tent campers need to use a little more discretion because they may find that some campgrounds are limited. There are some campgrounds that have restroom facilities that are open during the day, but they're closed at night. And if that's the case, those campgrounds will not offer tent camping. So that's just another wrinkle in this that we haven't had to deal with before. But one other thing I should point out is that when we talk about privately owned and operated campgrounds across the country, many of those are owned by families. You know, these are typically small businesses, and these families want to be open They want to have business and they want to keep their guests safe. And so they're following the protocols as best they can. The biggest wild card that I'm seeing at this point involves swimming pools. In some states, uh, swimming pools are allowed to be open in campgrounds, but they are restricting the occupancy to maybe 20 or 25% of the normal capacity that they would allow in to a swimming pool. So in this case, some campgrounds are coming up with strategies of you know limiting how many people can be in the pool each hour. So if you're a family traveling with kids, you know, kids like to swim, you definitely want to be aware of whatever the restrictions are involving swimming pools so that you can let your kids know in advance. And, and I guess that's my ultimate message is that the more homework you do in advance, the less surprises you will have along the way with your trip. Yes, it seems like there are so many variables that that call to the campground itself is is going to be very important this year. Yes. And I think you said that a lot of the campgrounds had closed. Are they in general opening back up now? 
Yes. What has been happening the past few months, in in many states, campgrounds have been declared essential businesses. And this is because campgrounds accommodate not only the traveling public, but full-time RVers. You know, there's a significant number. We don't know what the exact number is, but there's a significant number. It's in the, you know, tens of thousands and maybe over a hundred thousand. I don't know the exact number of RVers who are out there who are full-time RVing. They don't have a home to go to. And so their RV is their vehicle. And so you can't necessarily uh, shut down campgrounds all over the place that accommodate these folks who are full-time RVers because they have no place else to go. And so what's happened is in many states, campgrounds have been declared essential businesses. And so they have been allowed to accommodate their long-term RVers. And it's the restrictions that they have faced have involved traveling RVers, leisure travelers. So what's changing now is that the restrictions are being loosened so that campgrounds can now increasingly accommodate leisure travelers across the country. And so that is something that is, of course, welcome news to the RVing community, uh, not only for leisure travelers, but for full-timers as well, because a lot of the full-timers have had to stay put, you know, over the past uh, several weeks until these restrictions have been lifted. And so that's something that people will want to check into. You mentioned this a little bit as far as RV travel as a good alternative to other forms of travel during COVID-19 and it being a decent way for social distancing while you're trying to travel. What ways is it safe? Well, Can you expand on a little bit? Yeah, I think the main reason that it is safe is because you're in your own self-contained environment. If you have an RV, you're the only one who's using it. It's just you and your family traveling together in that vehicle. So anything you touch is going to have just your fingerprints and those of your family members. The restroom, same thing. The only people who've been in there have been in, you know, in touch with your own family, your own family members. And so as far as, you know, the touching goes, it's all self-contained. It's just your family members. The other thing is, is that in terms of food preparation, you can prepare all of your meals for your camping trip in advance if you want to, just like you would at home. And so that not only helps limit costs while you're traveling, but for safety reasons, you can prepare meals in in your RV that would be just as safe as what you would prepare at home because you would get the food from the same sources that you would use at home. So RVing gives consumers the ability to replicate what they have at home to the greatest extent. It's much more difficult to do that if you're you know, trying another form of travel. And then the other thing is once you get to the campground, you're the one who decides what you want to do, how much social distancing you want to do. I interviewed a family that just went to a campground in Florida last weekend. They went with six other couples that were friends of theirs. They're very close personally with each other. But when they went to this campground in Florida, they kept their distance. They maintained social distancing. So they didn't hug each other. They didn't touch each other. They didn't go into each other's RVs. They kept to their own campsites, but they still did get together for a campfire in the evening. They went fishing together and uh, they were able to converse with each other out in open area. They told me that they really enjoyed being able to do that because they said that it just felt more natural talking with each other face to face, even if it was from a, a distance. And they also told me that it was 
emotionally and physically beneficial for them simply to be outside. It's very therapeutic to do that. And I can't think of really anything else that would allow people to do that more than camping. Because I think the other reality is that we all need a change of scenery. And uh, it gets really old when you're cooped up in your house for week after week, month month after month, looking at the same scenery, so, so to speak. What I am also hearing from the people I've been interviewing who've been RVing and camping these past few weeks is that they are camping close to home. They're not doing really long haul trips right now, but people are finding that they can go to a campground or RV park or resort that is fairly close to home, maybe an hour or two away, and they can go fishing, they can go hiking, you know, they can go kayaking, they can engage in all kinds of activities outside and enjoy time with, with their family and friends. It seems like it offers a great opportunity to make your own choices as far as social distancing, like you just said, but how much do you need to contact other people while you are RVing? Well, very little. A lot of campgrounds now are offering what they call touch-free check-in. And so they're trying to minimize the amount of contact people have even when they check in. What they're doing is they're asking for you know, credit or debit card payment for the campsite up front. And that way they don't have to really do very much once they get to the campground. They can just you know go in and let them know they're there and uh, go to their campsite. And then once you get to your campsite, it's, it's pretty much up to you. You know, some campgrounds have activities that they offer, which they are modifying to be in compliance with these latest social distancing guidelines. But you can always go to a campground and, and not do anything other than just, you know, camp. So I think it's really up to the consumer as to what their comfort level is and how much they want to really engage you know, with others outside. But this is an activity where you decide yourself how much interaction you want to have with other people. And are there any special safety precautions that people might want to consider on top of all of that? I think the main thing is just to make sure they bring masks with them. Uh, They may want to bring some uh, gloves with them. I noticed hardware stores in particular are carrying lots of these now. They're very inexpensive if you just want to be extra careful with what you touch when you're outside. But some campgrounds, there's one in particular in Florida. It's called Twin Lakes. It's in Defuniac Springs, Florida. It's north of Panama City, and it's in the interior of Florida, but in northwest Florida. They have a lot of wide open spaces there. I was talking to the campground owner yesterday and he was telling me that he had a couple that came over this past weekend and they ended up staying an extra couple of days because they simply enjoyed it so much they were able to wander around without a mask on because there was so much open space there. And they said it was wonderful just to feel normal again. And so depending on where you go, you could find environments that suit what you're looking for right now. There's something else I should mention that a lot of people don't really realize unless they've been in the RV lifestyle for a while, and that's seasonal camping. Some people purchase an RV for the purpose of doing trips and traveling to see the national parks or historical sites or cross-country trips and things like that. There's another segment of the population that purchases usually towable RVs or they'll purchase a park model RV, which is kind of like a cottage. And what they'll do is they will set that up on what's called a seasonal campsite in a campground that they rent for the entire camping season. So it could be, you know, say six months. And they will commute to the campground on weekends and use it as like a weekend retreat or vacation cabin. So it's an RV, but they're using it as a weekend getaway. And this is something else that 
that is becoming increasingly popular in many campgrounds around the country, especially in the Midwest and in, in the East, because families can basically purchase an RV and keep it at the campground that they like and use it on weekends. They can use it as much as they want during the summer months. And I just thought I should mention that because, you know, when we talk about RVs, you know, you don't always have to buy them just to be doing trips. And then, of course, if you have your own RV that you're going to every weekend at a campground, that RV only has your fingerprints inside of it. It's just got your food inside of it, your clothing. So you're basically going from your home to your RV wherever you have it, and it's already set up. And that's another option that people can have when they purchase RVs. It certainly seems like people use them in a lot of different ways. One other thing I should mention on, on that topic, that mm-hmm. I just noticed this last winter. There seems to be an increase in the number of consumers who are in their 30s or 40s or 50s who live in northern parts of the United States, and they have a business that is home-based. And what I'm finding through my research is that there seems to be more of these folks who are purchasing RVs now with the idea of enjoying the snowbird lifestyle during the winter months rather than staying in Chicago or, you know, Philadelphia or wherever else they happen to be. And so they're coming south for the winter and they're spending the winter in a warmer climate. They're continuing to do their work from the RV just as they would at home. And I thought that was kind of significant because people are realizing that with the internet, just like we're doing this call right now over the internet, you don't have to uh, wait until you're retired to be able to enjoy the snowbird lifestyle, even if you only do it for a couple of months of the winter. Jeff, I'd love to get just some general tips from you because your experience in this is pretty extensive, both personally and then it seems like you speak with so many people in your various publications. So you get a lot of feedback from people that are actually out there doing this. So I'd love to ask some general questions because this show is about helping people travel worry-free whether it's first timer or maybe people that are a little bit newer to it, what essential tips can you offer them? I think the first thing would be to do your homework on where you're going to go and where you're going to stay and what you're going to do when you get to wherever you want to go. Certainly this year, uh, a lot of the attractions, museums and things like that, historical sites have different operating procedures. And so you'll want to research those kinds of things, again, to minimize your surprises along the way. The other thing, just about RVing in general, I think it's worthwhile to really spend time getting to know the RV, you know, taking time, you know, if if you're really new to this, taking time with the salesman, having them show you how to operate the holding tanks, how to empty the holding tanks, and getting to know the equipment so that you're not having to be in distress when you're on the road trying to figure something out. You know, I I think one of the challenges is people get so excited that they can hardly wait to get out of the dealership to begin with and get on the road somewhere. But they really need to maximize that time and really educate themselves better because there are surprises, you know, that can come up if you're not familiar with how some of this equipment works. And the other thing, because so many people rely on their phones these days for information, for internet access and whatnot, and this may sound kind of odd to people, but it's certainly very valuable when you travel, you really need to take paper roadmaps with you, old-fashioned automobile club maps with you. Because what happens is when you're trying to go somewhere in an RV, especially when you're driving you know, distances, you get into areas where there's no cell phone coverage. And if you're driving into a remote area, which is where a lot of the state and national parks are, a lot of the really scenic areas of this country are areas that don't have really reliable cell phone coverage. So when you're getting into these areas, 
is you need to make sure that you have a really good map because your cell phone's not going to cut it. And it's going to be really frustrating if you get out in the middle of nowhere and then there's a junction and you don't know where to go. Or, you know, you may encounter roads that are not marked very well. You know, you can avoid some aggravation that way. Something else that happens to people when they get RVs is they have challenges navigating the RV into small spaces. And so I would say that certainly when they are starting off as an RVer and you go to a campground, oftentimes the campground operator will offer to park your RV for you. Or if you're a little nervous about it, you can ask someone at the front desk if they can send someone out to park the RV for you. They would much rather do that than have you drive over a utility pedestal or create some kind of damage either to the the campground or to the RV. So I would not be bashful about asking. There's even a campground operator I interviewed a while back. They have J&H RV Park in Flagstaff, Arizona. And Harvey Michelson is the guy who came up with this idea. He's one of the owners. He's very funny. And he calls it a marriage-saving RV parking service that he offers. Because sometimes after people have been driving all day, sometimes they can be a little, you know, have a little bit of a short fuse. And, mm-hmm. and so parking the RV can, you know, especially if it's in a small space, can add a little bit of stress. And so you know, people can avoid that. If they have any doubt at all or any hesitation, just ask. And people in the campground will be happy to do that. The other thing is, is that a lot of these campground operators are more than happy to help their guests figure out things, troubleshoot things. If they're having trouble turning something on, if, you know, they need a little help with something, a little guidance, that, you know, they're more than happy to help. Your story a couple of minutes ago about backing up the RV and making some of those mistakes made me think that you've probably interviewed people over the years and you've probably seen mistakes and some blunders. Yes. What are some of those that you can share and help people avoid them? Well, I think one of the dangers with an RV when you're driving it until you get a real good feel for it and a sense for it is how long it is and how much the back end swings as you turn it. And I'm talking mainly about motorhomes because that's what I have the most experience with, motorhomes as opposed to trailers. You know, the reality is if you're turning a motorhome sharply, that back end can swing further than you think and you might hit something. And so you have to be just very careful as you're navigating that. And this is one reason why a lot of campgrounds have evolved toward pull-through campsites as opposed to back-end campsites. I mean, initially the idea was to accommodate bigger RVs because, you know, back in the 19, early 1970s, late 60s, when the RV industry was first really taking off in a big way, the RVs themselves were much smaller. Most of them were, you know, under 30 feet. The RV that, you know, I traveled around with the most with my parents growing up, we had that for many, many years. And that was a 24 foot class C motorhome. That was like a van with a living space attached to it. So it was pretty easy to navigate. But even with that, there were mishaps that we had ourselves with that vehicle. There were times when we would leave the step down or the step to get into the motorhome wouldn't rise. Back in those days, everything was manual. And so we had to manually lower the step or raise the step. A lot of times we would simply forget to do it. And then we would drive and then we would hit something and knock off the stairs. You know, the reality is as you get used to the vehicle, you're going to learn more. But I think you know, the main thing is just take it easy, take it slow, and be willing to ask 
for advice. You know, nowadays there's so many resources people can have to check out RVs, you know, information so they can really become quite informed about what they're doing. And then the other thing is, is that they can also ask people at the campground they're visiting if they have any advice. You know, a lot of RVers are more than willing to share their advice about absolutely everything, where to eat, where to camp, things to watch out for with your particular RV. Everybody's willing to be helpful. It's it's a lifestyle that so many people really enjoy. People are willing to talk. RVers generally are very sociable people. I think people, especially who are new to this industry, can take advantage of that and learn a lot from people who've been doing it for a little while. And what are some of the misconceptions that you think a lot of people have about RVing that you can help dispel? I thought about this question, and I'm not really sure because I grew up and have spent so many years with RVing being just kind of a natural part of my life that I haven't really encountered a lot of people with misconceptions about it. So I'm not really sure. Could you give me an example of what kind of misconception somebody might have? One that I heard from somebody else was that RVers fall into two categories, uh, very wealthy or very poor kind of the two ends of the spectrum, when in reality, most people are right in the middle, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. So I think that that kind of misconception about either very wealthy or very poor, I think that, you know, that's not really accurate because RVing is something that's embraced by every demographic, people at every income level. You certainly can find people who are very wealthy, and sometimes you don't really even know who they are because uh, they may not purchase the most expensive rig, and they may be rather thrifty. I did a story many years ago for RV Business Magazine on the Walmart camping phenomenon. Of course, that's something that is very aggravating for private campground operators in particular because privately owned and operated campgrounds invest a lot of money to be able to provide holding tank facilities and things like that for their guests. And they get quite annoyed by people who try to camp for free at Walmart and then try to go dump their waste at the campground. And, you know, you can find all kinds of people enjoying this lifestyle. But I think that really it is the kind of lifestyle that is embraced by everyone from every class. My stepfather, who I grew up with, was an endodontist. We lived a a relatively frugal lifestyle growing up, but we traveled a lot. We camped everywhere. We visited pretty much all of the Western National Parks. And I think with all the camping that I've done over the years, I've seen people from all walks of life. You'll even see this in some of the KOA studies nationally. A lot of tent campers are actually extremely affluent. You know, you you can't really judge someone by the type of vehicle they're driving or towing. So I think one of the beauties of the RV lifestyle is that you can meet people from all walks of life. People in campgrounds, especially during the summer months, all tend to wear shorts and t-shirts at one site. So you're not necessarily going to know who's wealthy or who's not, because they may not even be driving a rig that really demonstrates how wealthy they are. But I've never really thought of RVers being either extremely rich or extremely poor. I think it's a lifestyle that's embraced by everyone. And I would encourage everyone to really give it a try if you haven't done it before. I can't think of anything that is better for providing families and friends opportunities to spend really great quality time together. Some of the best places you could possibly be in this country. It just doesn't get any better than that. Cook your own food, have a campfire, share stories, just have wonderful experiences. If you want to be in really remote places, you can go to really remote places. I've had many experiences camping and sleeping and opening the window 
you know, of the RV and being able to hear water rushing over rocks. I love being able to go out into the wilderness somewhere when it rains and be able to hear the raindrops on the roof of the RV. I mean, that's just wonderful. It's a neat experience. It really is. Jeff, I was going to ask if you had a final big idea piece of advice, but it almost sounds like you just gave it. It was a good endorsement for RVing in general, unless there's something else you'd like to add to that. Well, you had asked at one point whether people should rent or buy. And I think that it really depends on what your level of interest is in the lifestyle. I think renting is worthwhile if you've never done it before and you want to kind of get get an idea of what kind of RV is right for you. Most of the RV rentals that are available are class C rentals, although you can work with different companies and get RVs of different sizes. But I think if you rent first, it certainly introduces you to the lifestyle. If you have a passion for camping and if you're pretty confident that it's something that you're going to want to do, whether you want to use it for travel or whether you want to park it at your favorite campground and leave it there and use it on weekends as a getaway cabin, you know, you may want to consider buying. There's a lot of really good deals out there right now. I know that they extend the payments for quite a while, so they're pretty affordable, especially for some of the towable units. It just kind of depends on what you want to use it for. But if you like the idea of getting out and enjoying nature, traveling, seeing this country, an RV is certainly a wonderful thing to have. And Jeff, is there a destination that's on your bucket list that you have not been to yet that you'd like to visit in an RV trip? Alaska. <laughs> Haven't done it yet. I have not done Alaska yet. And I'm not going to be able to do it this year. The Canadian border is closed right now. Oh, okay. But but that's the thing is we have bucket lists for a reason. You need to add things you want to do. That's definitely something I'd love to do is go up there. There's lots of neat things to see, you know. And then the other thing is, is that when you travel, you get to see the true America. You get to see the true Canada. You get to go through the small towns, mom and pop restaurants. It's nice to be able to do that. Locally owned businesses, it's neat to see what our heritage is. Jeff, this has been very helpful. You've brought a lot of insights to people that might be thinking about this. It's a lot to tackle if it's something that's new to you, and I think you've helped them out quite a bit. Where can people find you online? Where would you like to send them? I'm all over the place online because I write for RV Business and Woodall's Campground Management, Motorhome Magazine, Trailer Life Magazine, Family RVing Magazine. So I don't have a website per se because I Mm. write for multiple publications. If they have specific questions, they can always email me on my email address is campinginfo, like information source, campinginfosource at gmail.com. Great. And we'll also link to some of the other places that you're online, some of your writing in the show notes so that people can find you there. Okay, very good. Happy Thank you very much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation today. Remember, there will be show notes and links. You can find links to show notes from our Twitter page. Our Twitter handle is Safe Travels FM. I have a small favor to ask. This is a new show, and so far feedback has been great, but we could use a good boost. There are a lot of ways that you can help. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast player app. You can rate us on the Apple Podcast app. You can share it with friends. You can share it to social media. All of these things would help. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. Safe travels.